Uh, hi everyone, uh, thanks for, for joining. Uh, so my name is Pierre-Yves. Um, I'm um, just as Bruno said, I'm, I'm CTO and co-founder at Exoscare, we're uh, a, a cloud service provider. I'll, I'll spare a, just a two words on, on what you will do. And uh, I indeed uh, enjoyed working on these systems as well as the, the monitoring and the observability ecosystem uh, quite a bit, have uh, a, an extensive uh, uh, open source uh, almost open source past, uh, if I were to be completely honest, uh, in, uh, in both of these fields. Um, and yeah, and today I'm, I'm here to, to talk mostly about orchestration and how, how we tackle it at uh, uh, and, and what part Clojure plays in this. Uh, we don't build all of it in Clojure, but I'll only be talk talking about the bits that we do in Clojure. Uh, I have a, just a, an extremely small digression uh, around the areas where we don't use Clojure um, at, uh, at one point in the, in the presentation. So yeah, we do infrastructure as a service. Uh, we fight the, the three big names. So we, we made the extremely poor choice of uh, choosing Microsoft, uh, Amazon, and Google as our main competitors. In retrospect, not the smartest of ideas. Uh, that being said, we now we are now aging, uh, uh, you know, our uh, our comfortable uh, space uh, as a, a a good European alternative to to, to the big ones. Uh, with zones mostly in the German speaking part of uh, Europe. And, um, you know, that's what we do. Uh, that's what infrastructure as a service looks like, at least uh, uh, in our part of the world. Uh, most of our customers uh, tend to use us through uh, uh, automation tooling. So, infrastructure is not necessarily where people think of, uh, of closure first, right? Uh, and especially, uh, you know, infrastructure as, as a service provider, because uh, after all, uh, in, in many people's uh, head, uh, it only involves uh, uh, installing OpenStack and buying lots of expensive uh, hardware. So we did the former, we bought a lot of expensive uh, uh, hardware, uh, Alex Oscar, uh, that, that has own, but we also do uh, a, a huge amount of uh, software development. You know, in the intro chat, I was describing a bit the, the split between uh, in the engineering team. So, so yeah, we are half of the engineering team spends the, the vast majority of their time uh, developing software. Uh, the software we develop, so we almost rely exclusively on, on our internal uh, intellectual property as well as uh, a, a couple of key uh, uh, open source projects uh, as well. Um, but today I'll be mostly talking about uh, orchestrators, which is the, yeah, the part in red. Uh, so uh, we orchestrate many things and have different uh, software start to, to, to orchestrate different parts of the, the product lines we have, uh, such as our managed Kubernetes offering, load balancers and, uh, and, and VM instances. So, before I get into that, uh, I'll just spare a handful of words about what it means, for instance, to uh, deploy an instance. So let's say you want to create a new virtual machine instance. Uh, what does this entail? Because, uh, you know, if you've ever done it uh, locally with uh, uh, Ebert or VMware, I mean, you probably have a, you know, a, a notion of what this entails, but what, what does it entail for, for a provider? Uh, and purely from the infrastructure standpoint, I, I won't I won't be detailing what we do for you know how we actually 
look at what you consume to ensure that uh, uh, there's a billing statement at the end or things like this. But, but purely from um, an infrastructure perspective, there's, there's a network uh, and storage component as well as a, a, a compute one which, uh, which deals with placement. And something that intuitively can feel a bit simple ends up being already a sort of a maze just for this uh, uh, small task of uh, deploying a new instance. So, you know, from the API call we get, we need to you know, figure out which uh, public IP you're going to get, uh, and then uh, figure out which uh, hypervisor you're going to land on, uh, which needs to honor a, a, a certain amount of placement constraints. Uh, you know, we, Potentially, you have anti-affinity groups, which mandates that you shouldn't be uh, collocated with uh, other instances. Maybe you chose a specific, uh, uh, I would like say, hardware family uh, for the instance you want to deploy. So that has to be taken into account in, in that allocation decision. Uh, then we can we can talk to the hypervisor that was selected. Uh, maybe it needs to pull a, 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 virtual, uh, a, a virtual machine template uh, to create a volume with. Uh, maybe it needs to set up private networking and all of this has to be done before you know the actual process which materializes uh, your uh, um, virtual machine instance uh, gets created so that's in a sense the instance boots and fair enough uh, in most people's mind that's just you know a, a bit of glue maybe a bit of ansible and and off you go um, in, in reality, uh, it ends up being a bit uh, a bit more con complex than this, uh, and and we use the opposite approach of saying, you know, what what do we want to do? What do we mean when we say orchestration? Uh, and uh, um, the essence of orchestration for us is that you know we uh, we get an event uh, that uh, targets an entity uh, which has a uh, potentially a current state. Uh, out of uh, out of that, we get a, a new state and potentially side effects to performs. You know, um, and the, those side effects to performs, we uh, we basically map from a, an action name to an abstract an abstract syntax tree of sorts to to perform. So that's you know it can be seen as simple as that. And when you look at uh, from this perspective. Uh, it is a, a, a computer science. Uh, it is computer science domain, so uh, uh, development can be undertaken. <clears throat> we do this taking into account a few challenges. Uh, first, uh, we need to ensure uh, the formula uh, you just saw can be applied, you know, uh, with concurrency, uh, with some objectives in terms of resilience. Um, taking into account that the side effects of the actions to perform could be long running. Materializing physical infrastructure uh, is potentially uh, you know, longer that it can run into seconds, minutes uh, uh, for some of the operations, uh, sometimes even longer. Uh, obviously, we need to persist uh, configuration uh, and to have a regular convergence mechanism to ensure that we are in the state we expect to be in. Uh, throughout the, the infrastructure. And for all of these reasons, uh, uh, so first we are faced with you know, a pure programming uh, uh, problem. Uh, we have a couple of key challenges around uh, resilience, uh, around persistence, 
uh, we chose closure uh, because we deemed we deemed it a, a great fit so that's where we we, we start from uh, and <clears throat> specifically around that issue we built software around four axes uh, the axis of long-running side effects how do we perform those across the infrastructure uh, around observing the state of our systems uh, to be able to compare uh, you know uh, expected states to observed state um, around configuration and around convergence I'll start from the bottom of the, the pile with uh, how we deal with long-running side effects and uh, uh, our approach uh, uh, to that. Um, so just, uh, just as I was describing a bit, uh, a bit earlier, um, side effects affecting infrastructure can, be, can run for a long time. For instance, uh, you know, if, we, if we realize that we have a hotspot uh, on the infrastructure, we may want to migrate a machine from a host to another that process so which is transparent to to the user can take a while uh, to to materialize because we need to you know uh, uh, let's say uh, ship processes around uh, ship volumes around uh, while we do it uh, and that that can take a while um, that being said a lot of what we have to do uh, needs very little in in the way of control flow um, so if I'm if I'm to take a you know an abstract example, um, when when we stop a virtual machine, we don't only send a command to the target hypervisor to say please uh, you know destroy that process. Um, potentially, that virtual machine is part of a security group, and that security group is referenced uh, somewhere else. So we also need to go and contact all of the other hypervisors. Uh, which have VMs um, impacted by this stop to remove the IP of that VM from uh, their firewall rules, um, because the, you know, the security group is part of, uh, uh, of what we do. So <clears throat> uh, the code to do that, if we were to you know, write it in plain closure, would be extremely simple, uh, would you know, roughly look like this. Uh, uh, there's no... Uh, there's no particular, uh, uh, I say, uh, error handling here, but you know, it, it could look something like this. Uh, we we do have the issue of um, uh, dealing with um, the observability of that uh, of that thing. How do we know uh, uh, about its progress, and how do we deal with uh, with faults? So we could sprinkle. Um, uh, try catch uh, everywhere and log uh, and, and log statements everywhere, uh, which would uh, basically um, help us deal with uh, half of what uh, we want to do in terms of failure handling. Uh, it would guard us against remote execution failures, but it wouldn't guard us against uh, the process performing the side effect dying uh, during the, the process. Um, uh, which could uh, uh, which could happen, and uh, if we are to sprinkle left and right uh, uh, log statement to build uh, a, a concrete report out of it, it also uh, um, makes things a bit more uh, complex than necessary. So we look, we looked at the, the problem from a different angle and started to to, to think about what we wanted for. Uh, job execution, right? Uh, because most of these jobs, you know, the, 
the, uh, the API that we want to expose is when you ask us to do one of these long things, you get back a job ID and then you can come and look at whether uh, uh, it performs successfully or not. So in terms of our needs, we want the ability to do long running tasks in parallel. Uh, uh, I was describing that maybe you want to contact uh, a, a number of hypervisors to remove feral rules. That, that, that's typically something we, we probably want to do in parallel. Um, some things need to be executed in, in sequence uh, to basically enable barriers of sorts where uh, we want to first do something in parallel, then wait for all of those to, to finish and then go on to the, to the next step. And we want basic, basic rescue mechanisms, uh, you know, such as try catch finally. Um, so the, the abstract syntax tree uh, necessary to uh, uh, describe um, programs like these uh, can be composed of very few uh, of very few things. So we have uh, leaves, the actual actions to be performed, our sequential branches, our parallel branches, uh, and our uh, uh, try-rescue branches as well. So if we were to, to I mean, for instance, write a, a program that roughly looks like this, uh, we, we end up with um, a, a tree uh, that um, uh, that looks like this with the, the A, B, C, D, E, F leaves being the actual actions to perform and the do par do try uh, um, elements being the, the different element of control flow uh, we support for our, for our program of sorts. So starting from there, uh, we, uh, we also uh, added in a couple of things we, we wanted to, to make sure could be uh, uh, could be done with whatever with whatever approach we took, uh, which is that um, we wanted the ability to be able to restart execution uh, from a, a previously known state of a program. Um, we didn't want to tie the way we described the programs to any sort of uh, execution context. So like for instance, we didn't want to, to tie to a specific exec execution engine. So bake something on top of, uh, I don't know, manifold or, or something else, uh, but really to be independent from that because um, our history showed that, you know, this is the sort of thing that you want to be able to, uh, uh, to quickly swap uh, over time. And we also had this, this issue where not all of our uh, orchestrators uh, exist at the same layer of our infrastructure. Some, some, some for instance, only uh, have access to uh, a very few things, such as the SQL database, uh, and run uh, uh, outside of a, of a cluster, while some others could have access to Kafka and, and different types of databases, so, so, which opens up different options for uh, building execution context for these uh, uh, programs, but the one thing we were sure of is that we wanted the same way of representing our control flows uh, across our different orchestrators. And the current state of a program should be inspectable, uh, which was the, uh, our last requirement. So taking all of this into account and uh, looking at squinting a bit at this uh, uh, abstract syntax tree, uh, it became um, it quickly became evident that what we wanted looked a bit like continuation passing style. 
uh, but should be free of the execute the execution environment. So uh, we we tried to build a continuation pacing style system which uses even to serialize the state of problems. What what this uh, design decision led to is uh, forcing us to have the actual action execution be separate from uh, the um, uh, from the program description. Um, so we built something which has a, a super small API, uh, essentially exposes uh, uh, two uh, two signatures, one to build uh, a job out of an AC uh, and one to uh, restart a job. And what we mean by restart a job is that given a job and a list of results for previous actions, we get a new job. That's where the, the continuation passing style, uh, um, I would like say, heritage shows, and a, a list of potential new actions to perform. Then what's left to the consumer is providing the leaf execution functions. Uh, so if, if one of the leaves, for instance, is uh, uh, contact hypervisor with this command, that's up to the execution engine to provide. Uh, the default approach being a, a def method where uh, you implement the, the leaf action, uh, where you, you implement the, the def method for the uh, for the uh, action name um, and an execution engine. So the, the library itself bundles a, a, an in-process uh, manifold executor, but uh, you're likely to, uh, to want to build uh, another one on top of it. So if I, if I come back to the, the instance uh, stop job, we've very few tiny modifications uh, out of the, the previous function instead of directly executing the uh, the, the job uh, i can build an ast for it and then hand over uh, that ast uh, to to my execution uh, to my execution engine which essentially repeatedly calls uh, restart on the uh, on the job uh, with the results of uh, of actions And just as described previously, uh, you know, having all of this uh, built as hidden also allowed us to you know, quickly build visualizations uh, on top of it to be able to, uh, I mean, first uh, look at uh, ASTs as we build them, but also uh, to quickly investigate issues when uh, you know, APIs uh, uh, go sideways instead of uh, sifting through uh, endless types of uh, of logs on different uh, subsystems. So on this specific part, if we look back, uh, the, the you know building that uh, that library, which is actually open source, ended up being a, a relatively uh, you know uh, contained effort. Uh, it provides us with uh, it provides us with uh, two levels of indirection, which is quite convenient. Uh, when we change the meaning of what uh, stopping an instance is, uh, we can modify the AST that's built out of it. And we can also modify what we mean for each action, right? Because the, then the, the dispatcher for each action type can also evolve over time. So we have these two layers to, 
uh, to evolve over time. Um, using uh, hidden uh, and so data to represent the AST gave, gave us these uh, you know, nice hooks to build visualization visualizations on top of the of the progress uh, ended up being uh, quite convenient uh, and the pluggable execution engine uh, uh, aspect of the library makes for uh, a convenient way to evolve uh, uh, you know the the resilience and and the, the concurrency um, the aspects of that uh, uh, of side effect producing and and handling um, without touching the core of our orchestrators uh, over time. So we started with manifold and uh, we evolved towards a, a SQL based approach over time. And uh, and roughly that's yeah that's. Uh, that part now is at the, the heart of all of the side effects that we produce uh, uh, and also um, ended up socially being interesting because uh, we also blended uh, the way we build our uh, operator runbooks uh, to be based off of uh, uh, Ablauf uh, ASTs, uh, which means that uh, a single way to uh, uh, a, a single representation of workflows is used both to inside uh, the software we build, orchestrators, but also for operator actions. Uh, let's say uh, if I want to uh, 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 retire a hypervisor, uh, I need to migrate left and right all of its uh, virtual machine, but that's something that an, an, an operator may decide to do, right? So uh, there's a, a, a convenient uh, um, um, API call to, to do this, which which then uh, materializes this as a um, uh, as an ABLA of AST with a couple of uh, you know how would I say uh, simple primitives we added to to quickly build scenarios. The second aspect of uh, uh, our orchestration platform uh, deals with observing state. Um, and here, the, the, the salient point here is that uh, we need this, a, a state observing uh, mechanism for, for two key reasons. The first is that we want our allocation decisions to rely on, on fresh data, right? Uh, if uh, your notion of uh, how used uh, each of the uh, object storage partitions uh, are uh, dates from uh, two hours back, potentially you're overloading you know, disks uh, on, uh, on nodes that are currently being uh, uh, underwater. Um, and we also want low latency propagation of state changes uh, to react uh, to infrastructure being modified uh, live. Right? So, so these two aspects are, um, led us to, to build the, the, this um, the, a, a state observing machine. So, um, a, a simplified view of what we want uh, is uh, here it's hypervisor represented because uh, I'm focusing a lot of what I do today on the, the virtual machine instance uh, ecosystem, but this applies to uh, uh, most of what we do in object storage and for the higher other orchestrators as well. But, um, so we want to emit uh, uh, state data. Um, uh, as a stream and to materialize, uh, you know, and build a materialized view out of that stream 
in a, in a store that can provide low low latency lookups from uh, from any types of uh, orchestrators. And a second aspect is that when entities get you know change, we also want to build a secondary stream uh, off of it, which. Uh, uh, notifies the appropriate orchestrator that an entity has seen a change so that a convergence run can uh, can be triggered. On the actual materialized view, um, what we want uh, looks a lot like the typical NoSQL uh, uh, database uh, uh, these days, as in uh, we want fast key value access uh, with uh, a bit of flexibility into the dimensions we we want to look up. Uh, so we may want to find all of uh, all VMs which are part of a specific instance pool. We want we potentially want to find uh, network load balancers that are tied to a a Kubernetes cluster we manage or things like these. And you know the lookup mechanism should be as simple as possible. As I was showing earlier, we we need to emit state and. Uh, that's that's part of what we don't do in Clojure, actually, uh, Alex Oscar. So <clears throat> we, we built a bit of a, a, a tower of languages, uh, Alex Oscar, where uh, you know the default uh, choice is Clojure. Uh, uh, everything that uh, that runs uh, centrally is, is done in Clojure. We also do the, the user experience part in Clojure as well. But whatever runs close to the workload, so on actual hypervisors on storage nodes on, st on our storage chassis uh, tends to be either uh, uh, golang uh, by default now uh, or when necessary uh, c or, uh, or a, a, an even smaller language but i would say the, the vast majority uh, is now golang And so to implement what you saw, well, here we went the, how would I say, the, uh, the canonical closure way, uh, uh, at least uh, looking at the, the, um, the other closure users we, we know about, this seems to be a very common approach. Uh, you know, the, the stream ends up in Kafka and we build a materialized views with uh, Kafka streams. Uh, and, and I won't spend too much time on that specific part of what we do, because I think that, um, you know, that's again, the typical closure pro projects. For us, it was extremely convenient. We, we were able to capitalize on the, the Kafka streams knowledge we, we already have, uh, because it's also heavily used for uh, billing purposes and, uh, uh, you know, uh, what I say, uh, account change reactions as well, uh, Alex Oscar. That being said, it's it's in the realm of, of things people usually do with closure. I would say the the third aspect, though, uh, the, that we have um, is our configuration persistent engine, uh, and and here it's it's a bit. Uh, I wanted to spend a bit uh, of of time on it just to defend a bit the, the choice because and we we end up with entities having uh, a, a tree shape uh, mostly. Um, we want as much flexibility as possible for queries, so basically to to build a part of the tree uh, as we query data. 
but we want full control of mutation uh, as much as possible. So the obvious choice for this is datomic, right? Uh, you get the pool syntax, uh, uh, the, uh, an easy way to perform mutations, plus uh, that being said, um, um, it wasn't an obvious choice for us. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, you know, the, the actual infrastructure footprint of, uh, of the atomic is non-negligible. Uh, and this being part of uh, our orchestration uh, uh, platform, even though a lot of exascale runs on exascale, the actual uh, virtual machine uh, instance orchestrator does not. So it has to have a relatively small dependency profile. Uh, ideally, you know, not much more than a, a SQL database. Um, and uh, the, the second part is that we don't deal with uh, an amount of, uh, uh, with a cardinality that's completely crazy. Uh, you know, so, so essentially uh, uh, here we can, we can weather the, uh, having, uh, having a, a, a standard uh, SQL database to, to do the job with, uh, with no issue. And the join ability of, uh, of SQL makes for uh, a nice way to build trees as well. The only problem is that the trees that you get out, uh, they're not nicely shaped trees uh, that you would get uh, with a, uh, something that supports pool syntax. So yeah, uh, that's, that's a bit what uh, entities can, uh, can look at, uh, can look like in the, the types of uh, the relationship uh, uh, we can have over the, the data we host. And as you can expect, I mean, when I say low, the, when they say low, the cardinality, it's like it's not in the millions for uh, virtual machine instances for us, which is so basically there's a large amount of room to grow uh, as far as we're concerned. So knowing this, we went in with uh, saying that we wanted uh, you know something that relied as much as possible on standard libraries in the closure ecosystem because that part is relatively well standardized now uh, in the closure ecosystem. Uh, we wanted the closure spec integration uh, and you know what you'd expect from uh, uh, from something that works with SQL relation uh, support um, uh, as well as uh, uh, transaction support. So again, so we went in with uh, NextJDBC and HoneySQL, uh, somewhere on, on coax at the end. Um, and that's what we mean when we say we want integration with closure spec. So, so the library the library we built. Um, uh, allows us to infer the, the schema of a, uh, of a specific entity from a spec and to uh, out of the box uh, start querying it. And as you can see uh, down below, the query uh, language we went with uh, looks a lot like the pool syntax of uh, Datomic because that's actually what we wanted uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to use. Uh, so, uh, as soon as a, a relation is inserted, we can build a tree uh, as deep as we want, uh, which maps, you know, which creates the corresponding SQL query uh, and allows us to have the flexibility we want uh, with our query mechanism. Then the rest is more like the standard bread and butter. Uh, there's ways to uh, add the standard mutations. And uh, uh, in, in many cases, uh, uh, you, you may actually want to use a uh, a, specifically, a specifically named mutation, which 
you know, produces SQL code. So for mutations, we don't we don't enforce any any specific opinions. Uh, and of course, transaction support as well as uh, listeners to enable uh, secure REST type workflows where after a change in the database within the transaction, you get notified of the change so that you can perform uh, additional actions if, uh, if need be. Um, and yeah, and that's it for, um, uh, actually it's, it's only mentioned at the end of the slide, but that's also uh, a library we open sourced uh, uh, called the SQL, which is a, a thin layer on top of, uh, uh, of NextJDBC and uh, OnySQL. Um, and so the last element is how do we tie all of these parts together, right? So we have uh, this library that helps us persist our configuration. Uh, we have a way to observe state. Uh, we have a way to perform side effects. How do we tie everything together? Um, and how do we trigger side effects when necessary? So just as a quick refresher, only two ways roughly to generate uh, a, you know, uh, to, to have something been generated. The first is through a user action. So I want a new instance. Uh, I, I you know, contact the API, uh, the, the new entity gets uh, persisted uh, in, uh, in a SQL database. Uh, then uh, a, deep, uh, a, a side effect is produced uh, uh, and we get, uh, we get back to the, the initial picture where we had allocation and the different side effects need, needing to be performed. And the other case is there's a, a, a state refresh. So, you know, potentially the health check for one of your, the, 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 mem the, the target members of a, a network load balancer a health check reports down, then the, the state gets updated. Uh, after the, the update, uh, the orchestrator is, uh, is contacted. Uh, again, a convergence run uh, happens. And here the convergence run is in both cases uh, noted as FSM run, which is a bit of a tell into how we do these things. So uh, we converge by doing this. We only serialize our target state uh, on the entity, and then we apply uh, a finite state machine run uh, on top of uh, uh, the, the expected state and the event to decide what action to, uh, to take. And here again, uh, we wrote a, a small library to build these uh, finite state machines, uh, um, which is also available as, uh, as open source. Uh, the specific, um, what I say, types of finite state machines we, we use are, are called uh, more machines, uh, and they, they take uh, a state and an event and produce a new state and uh, uh, the action to take, potentially. So in a sense, with all of this, we get back to this original picture. Uh, uh, you know, at the core, that's what we do. Uh, we apply uh, very few things. Um, and um, and and I think that's the uh, that's the key part here is that these two things that we do, which are, which are at the heart of all of our orchestrators, using these libraries uh, help us one remain extremely small. Uh, there's not that much code to uh, handle a, a for instance a managed Kubernetes orchestrator, which is 
not necessarily a, a small project, uh, typically. And it also allows us to build tests in isolation. For instance, you know, do we produce the, the, the correct data, the correct AST for a specific uh, type of side effect? Or are all of our state transitions, um, are our finite state machines uh, uh, finite, actually finite? <laughs> or do we have uh, uh, weird dangly, sta dangly states in, uh, in some cases? Those are the things that we can easily test. Um, without um, uh, having to build uh, integration testing platforms, which are um, uh, hard to, to manage and, and slow running. That's not to say that you know, we don't have those, but uh, we can build tests that exercise all of the, the corner cases of an orchestrator without having to actually contact uh, actual infrastructure. Uh, and the last part is that you know, uh, having baked this uh, this closure spec support, like this inference uh, from closure spec in SQL and in a couple of other places, we, we can start from our entity descriptions that are built off of closure spec and, and have that uh, permeate to all of, the, all of our systems. Uh, I'll, I'll probably publish this, these slides, but uh, yeah, we, we have a, a bunch of libraries, uh, as I was describing, to, to support all of this. Um, one which is still uh, pending uh, a, an open source release, which is uh, at the heart of all of how we build our uh, uh, open API compliant uh, uh, APIs. Uh, but, all, but the rest uh, is, uh, is already available and, uh, um, yeah, and ready to be used. And um, yeah, th those are supposed to be parting words, but I actually uh, uh, mentioned them in introduction, I think. So, uh, that promise, which is the, the uh, I mean, at least for us, the, the promise of uh, having closure as a tool to compose focused libraries is really something that delivered uh, for us. Um, and, um, and, and really closure spec uh, ended up providing, uh, you know, the safety net and, and, and the building block we really needed to be able to, to structure uh, our code bases to, uh, together. Um, yeah, and I guess a third parting word is that, uh, it, you know, it's the, it's the first time I give this specific talk and that I describe our uh, uh, orchestration uh, uh, ecosystem. So, uh, so also happy to take feedback on uh, uh, what ended up uh, not being super clear, uh, if, uh, if anything, which I guess uh, there is. And, uh, and that's it. That's what I have for, for tonight. Thanks, everyone.